Hello, everyone. I'm Alicia Swamy. I'm here with my co-host, Eric Johnson, Keely Severson, and we are Exposing Mode. Today, we are joined by Kendra Elliott, the fiance of 26-year-old Christian Childers. Christian recently passed away due to toxic mold exposure that had grown out of control in their home after Hurricane Ian in Florida. He leaves behind two beautiful children. Kendra, we found your story on 10 Tampa Bay, and I shared it with my team. We were absolutely heartbroken, and I just want to say thank you again for having the courage to come on the show today to share your family's story. Thank you. Um, Yeah, my name's Kendra, and um, Christian Childers was my fiance, and we have two boys, um, Riley, who's nine, and Colton, who is four. Hurricane Ian hit about September 27th, or September 28th. And um, we were lucky to even survive that. We had a massive flooding in our apartment, water coming out from windows, underneath tile, bubbling, and through our front door because we had the Mayaka River a couple of blocks down the road from us. Yeah, it was just amazing to get through that. And then um, not having electricity for 14 days or running water, looters in the neighborhood. Um, it, was, it was like something you would see on a movie, but was realistic. And then the heat started toxic mold. It started growing and we, we formed our landlord and then our landlord, after we told her, cause Christian went to the hospital in Inglewood and he was overnighted and he would leave for the week cause he worked in Naples. And as soon as he would get back home, he would need um, treatment right away and would be breathing bad. And so um, we made her aware of this. So a week went, he came back from work. He started feeling it in his lungs again. So he had left to go to his mother's house to get some abuteral treatments and an inhaler. I get a call at like nine o'clock at night telling me to, um, he went into cardiac arrest and he's unstable and they've been beating on his chest for over an hour to get him to come back alive. And I was just told, you need to come to, to Sarasota Memorial Hospital right away. So here I am leaving my children and my mom to go rush to the emergency room. Um, When I got there, they had just stabilized him and they were um, bay-flighting him to another Saracen Memorial which um, for triage, for the heart. They had better um, doctors there and neurologists there. And um, moral of the story um, is he was um, diagnosed brain death, not brain dead, but death of the brain, which means your brain stem is totally dead and there's no way anything could heal itself. Here he's pronounced dead and um, he donated his organs. And that was the last time I saw him. And since then, me and my children, um, my four-year-old, he doesn't understand why daddy's not coming home. So it's like a, every day, it, it's just a struggle. For me and my children and then on top of um having to leave the house because everything ruined our stuff we left um we had just got money from fema to replace beds and tables and couches well everything got left everything and um i have received donations from my gofundme from the community and if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have the clothes on my back my children wouldn't have clothes i wouldn't have my daily essentials to live my life and um my best friend who I worked with in GYN because I'm a certified medical assistant and um, she took me in. And now the sad story about that is she's getting kicked out by her landlord at the end of February. And I'm still not getting anywhere with FEMA. I I just have so many questions and like, what happened? Like, was he, was he always sort of sensitive? Like, did he always have like a, an issue breathing or respiratory magnified like after the mold? He has asthma, so that trickled his asthma very bad. We were aware that was making him sick, and we were actually trying to buy a travel trailer, but because of the hurricane, our credit scores dipped down, so no one would give us a loan. So we were stuck like Chuck. Rent around here for a three-bedroom house is like three grand. There's no way we can afford three grand a month in reality. Um, So we were literally stuck. His, fam- his family turned the cheek. I don't really have family. I take care of my mother. We just had spine surgery in March. So she, I take care of her. So we had, we had nowhere to go. In the Tampa uh, Bay, Florida story that 
uh, we had watched, you mentioned that you attempted to contact FEMA to get assistance yes. to, to move forward and get out and get to a safer location. Could you maybe talk about that situation? Um, Christian, a week prior, because he would come home on the weekends and FEMA was right down the road from us. I could physically walk there. They had set up right there. And he went down there on the weekends and argued with these people and they kept denying us. They gave us $300 for sanitizing, but this needs to be cut out. You can't sanitize it. There is no sanitizing it. And the landlord wasn't going to do anything about it. And um, since then, um, I've had broken promises from them. As soon as he died, everyone act like they cared and like, we're going to get to your travel trailer. We're going to help you and your kids. I have been chasing tail, getting, it's like a hot potato. I just keep getting passed around. I have to keep retelling my story and they want me to keep proving things. Prove what? He's dead. Like what happened when he left your house and went to his mom's house to get the albuterol? Like what actually happened? How I did guess. an asthma attack turn into like brain dead cardiac I, arrest? From what the doctors explained to me, from using the albuterol and the steroid inhaler, his lungs were so open that the toxins attached to the alveoli went into anaphylactic shock. And then had a cardiac arrest on top of it. So he suffocated to death. He suffocated to death. Which is, to me, like drowning or burning in a fire. Horrible. Horrible. His body couldn't handle the toxins. If I would have stayed there, he, I probably wouldn't have my, my youngest right now. Like, what, what did the landlord do? She had people actually come out a lot of inspectors and inspect the house. So I don't know what was going on with her insurance. And there was also a pipe that was leaking from all the pressure of our house flooding, water coming up from in the tile and everything. It bursted a pipe in my bedroom bathroom. She had a plumber come out, knock a huge gaping hole in there and mud, mud came out of my walls. Mud and um, deteriorated framing Literally, so then I moved, me and Christian moved all of our stuff into the living room and we closed off that whole quarter of the house and was literally living in the living room, trying to get out, trying to find somewhere to stay. And we, we ran out of time. We ran out of time. I just feel like Something could have been done to where he didn't have to go. Because now, no matter what this government agency does for me, they can't give me back the one thing that I want back. And that's my fiance and the father of my children. I've almost spent $7,000 on medical care because it's out of state and I needed a specialty and a mold doctor. And so... I found the best one in New Mexico. We were going through it because we were so stressed out to get out of the apartment. Like we knew it wasn't good, but we didn't know how severe it was that it was going to take somebody's life. Do you know what molds were found when the, when you did all the inspection and everything, inspection reports? Um, my uh, lawyer has all that information. He said it's one of the worst cases he's seen. Um, he actually just did a case on a, an infant that died from mold poisoning in California. Um, but I, I could, I don't have the reports on me. They're in my email, but it was bad enough. The cause of death with asthma contributed and, and flared it and caused him to go into anaphylactic shock and cardiac arrest because it was in the lungs. Who's um, your lawyer? Alan Bell. He's in Oh, California. good. Have you heard good. of him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In good he reached hands out to Alan, me and I he bet. was very comforting and sincere and humble because I wasn't, last thing I was thinking of was a lawsuit. I'm just like lost in my head. And he reached out to me and I was like, okay. He's like, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you justice. I'm going to get Christian justice. And I was like, thank you, sir, for finding justice for me. Thank you. And I appreciate all the work he's done for me. He set me up with the best mold doctors in New Mexico and, um, He's done his job very well. He, I can call him any time of day and he'll help me. Very good man. 
Yeah, we've hosted him on the show and he's he's also a person that has been environmentally injured. So he really understands yeah. the situation. Mm-hmm. So he he's on a fighting level of like understanding. Like he knows he's been through it, which is really nice to know too. Like he knows where we're coming from. How are your boys now? Like how are you how are they doing? Um, the little one's not doing well at all. He's very mad about the situation. He doesn't really understand death. And he gets mad because daddy doesn't come home at night. So at night I literally struggle an hour and a half or better just to get my kids to sleep because me and Christian, we were very loving and close with our kids. They weren't sent to their rooms on tablets and TV. Like we had family time. We did everything together. And um, they missed that. Like they were very close and hands-on with their dad and it's killing them. Killing them because it's like the one thing like they can't get a new father. That's that's how they can't. It's not replaceable. You know, so it's hard. It's really hard. You hear them cry at night. Just as a mom. Man, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. This is really awful. As a mother, we try to protect our babies. That's like, we fight for them and I can't fix it. I can't fix it. And it kills me. There's nothing I can do. I think that's a really hard lesson as mothers that ultimately we don't have control to protect our babies fully from the pain that life throws at them. But this is such an extreme example. Mm-hmm. So what's next for your family? I mean, where do you go from here? Like what, how do you pick up the pieces? Like where are you at with that? I'm, I'm just, I've literally um, chased FEMA and United Way all day long. Every day there's a new paper I need to fill out or something else I got to prove or something else, something else. Because in, in reality, I can't, I can't even take, my oldest is at school right now, but my four-year-old, he has such bad, like, I can't leave his sight. It's a miracle that I'm even talking to you right now. He's outside playing with um, his, his Momo, which is grandma. We call her Momo. And um, I can't I can't even go pee. He's afraid I'm not going to come home. So for me to just throw him in daycare right now and just leave him there and pick him up from 6.30 to, like, 6 at night, I just I can't even do that right now to him. I'm, I feel like I'm stuck like Chuck. I'm just waiting on uh, broken promises. They were supposed to be getting me and my family a travel trailer. And um, I even have a place to put it and everything. And I'm just waiting for it now. It's just a wait game. Sounds like your whole neighborhood just sort of went under with with the hurricane. Like, do you know of any other situation where people Um, are fighting FEMA to get help? Like, is everyone kind of in this boat where FEMA is not really doing anything for you guys? Are people in access roads? that lost roofs and stuff with their children in tents on the side of the road. I kid you not because they're waiting on a travel trailer from FEMA. It's crazy. So, so is FEMA many- advising you guys to, to stay out of your homes if there is severe flooding and you see mold and to stay in a tent, or is this just something that they choose to do to stay in a tent? Like, I wonder if they're providing adequate notice and alarm, like, Hey, like if you have this type of mold growth, like, we advise you to do this until we're able to provide you with these resources. I'm just they didn't there. provide me any knowledge of the mold. They told they gave me $300 and told me to go clean it. <laughs> Inspectors were even like, oh, no, that's dangerous. Like, you need to get out of here. Like, don't touch that. If you put bleach or anything on it, you're going to make it expand more. Like, don't add any fluid to it, basically. So I was like, okay. And then we started fighting FEMA and we kept getting denied. But the people that I've spoken to just being in the dollar general um, they're like their roofs aren't intact or, you know, they had more severe damage than I did. I had a lot of flooding was my damage, but um, I've seen a lot of mold testing signs up in the neighborhood now, but I have had a lot of people reaching out saying that they're getting sick in their home for mold. And I'm, I'm just telling them all I can do is you can appeal FEMA and just 
fight. Don't, don't give up. Cause they want you to give up. They want you to get tired of the bull crap and give up. So they don't have to shell out this money that was funded for Florida, but don't give up. I go down there and I fight every day for my family every day. It's like a full-time job. What I do. I'm not giving up. I'm not. I've worked too hard and my children deserve better. So I'm not giving up. I just, I find it disheartening that your entire life has completely just been thrown upside down and these organizations, it doesn't seem like there's really any compassion there or really any true assistance. It's just like, oh, and you can figure it out. Oh, and by the way, the mold is not bad. You can just clean it. I mean, that is so harmful. That is such crappy advice. But I, I, I can't fathom that. And, and, and it makes me want to go and like pursue FEMA and, and ask them, what are you guys doing? You know, what, why aren't you informing people of this mold issue? And why are you just making it sound like it can be cleaned with bleach when everyone knows that it can't be? Mm-hmm. So Eric, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on, on some historical information on other hurricanes in the past. Would, do you think now that it's possible that her area can actually turn into a sick region? Yeah, absolutely. We saw that with uh, Hurricane Katrina, with Hurricane Andrew, with uh, Hurricane Sandy, Staten Island. Many parts are still uninhabitable. People just left their houses, moved out of the neighborhood, and there's no money appropriated to tear down these toxic abandoned houses. And the neighbors are getting sick from them and there's nothing they can do. Burn all the homes down in the entire neighborhood. Do every part over. It's, it's really, it's really at that point. I mean, the desperation is so severe and the, the suffering is so great, and there's no, no answers, no money. After um, Hurricane Katrina, the uh, FEMA trailers, FEMA contracted to buy a whole bunch of really crappy trailers loaded with cheap materials that had a lot of formaldehyde, and people being hypersensitized from the toxic mold. They couldn't live in these trailers. The formaldehyde was making them sick. So that was another debacle after Katrina was all these trailers were useless. They just made people even sicker than they were before. So I don't know what FEMA's doing, if, they're, if they've corrected that, if they've managed to find non-toxic trailers. But now you have to wonder about that. Wow. That's a lot. That's, that's, that's insane. We were trying to get out, but we couldn't because of our credit score dipped a little low. Like mine dropped to like a 600 and his was, was at like a 585 and no one didn't matter if you had money to put down on anything. They're like, nope, sorry, we can't help you. So we had like no options, basically. He was, he was working up in Naples during the week and he would be fine. And as soon as he'd come home, he'd have attacks. There wasn't enough room for us to even go to the condo that his boss had because all the workers were there and I had. I even had my nephew at the time with me, which he, he's back with his mother now. And she's um, she's taken him to the pediatrician and all that to make sure he's okay. After Hurricane Andrew, Broward County became just so generally toxic that people were suffering there just by being in that, that neighborhood. Um, people literally had to evacuate Florida until they both died down. I do know of some people who have attempted to avoid mold in um, Florida. And I know like even the cost for hotels are pretty pricey over there too. So motel six is one eighty a night motel six. That's a two, three star hotel. That is insane. But, and a lot of those places are moldy too. <laughs> it's like- yeah. Now that I, now that I've smelt that must, I can, I was in an elevator the other day. And I was like, Oh no, we're taking the stairs. Like I could smell it actually in the Charlotte County library. As I was, at FEMA the other day, because I had to go in there and use Wi-Fi to download a document, and I could smell it. It's horrible. It's just so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And that's toxic mold, stachybotrys phenomenon, really came to public attention years ago. There was a strong movement, and people were warning each other that at the first signs of this stuff, if it's the toxic mold, you just need to get out and take nothing. And over the years the pushback against the mold paradigm was so great. This information just got lost for, for this to be unknown or 
obscure knowledge in Florida of all places. After all these years, it's incomprehensible. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I would love to leave Florida. <laughs> I was born and raised in Sarasota County, but it's not Florida anymore. It's too expensive. It's too hyped up. Can I ask you a hard question? Yeah. I almost don't want to ask you this. But I think it's important for other people to hear. I don't want to ask you this. If you would have known that this was going to happen. I would have lived in a tent on the side of the what road. What would you have done children. differently? I, I, I seriously would have taken my kids and set up a tent somewhere. Because at least me and Christian, Colton, and Riley, my mom would be together. No one would be missing. That's what I, like... I seriously would have done that. Left everything and just pitched a tent. So at least we'd still have Christian. I didn't want to ask you because it's too late. So what's the point of even bringing it up? But the reason that I did is because there's people that are in your situation that are still trying to tough it out. It's hard. Or getting air it. filters or air purifiers and thinking that, you know, they have a fighting chance in this thing. And I don't work. want this to happen to other families. It won't work. Unfortunately, it won't work. And um, hopefully, in my case, I didn't, like, all. thank goodness I have Lori, but I don't have any family. He didn't have any family reaching out to us, offering us a place to stay. And sometimes, you know, pe it, people are generous until someone dies, unfortunately. And then That's it's like, true. They, they care in the midst of the time, but then a week goes by and it's old news again. That's true. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Home Cleanse, formerly known as All American Restoration, is a company that specializes in improving indoor air quality through proper mold remediation, offering services nationwide. You can visit them at homecleanse.com to learn more. The Mold Guy performs mold sampling and testing for homeowners, renters, and businesses. Please visit themoldguyinc.com to learn more. Black Diamond Services provides solutions to the unforeseen challenges that can affect homes and families with no out-of-pocket costs. Services include temporary housing relocation and mold test referrals for homeowners. Visit blackdiamondservices.com to learn more. Thank you again for your sponsorships. It is integral to our ability to serve our community and to improve the quality of life for all. The doctors, they've, they've known for so many years these stopgap measures, the air filters, the supplements, all the things that they sell, they just don't work. But they keep selling them and they don't warn people. I guess it's all about the money when it boils down to it. It's all about money, the root of all evil. This conversation has just been so hard. I'm like at a loss. It's, it's hard for me to even be comprehensible at this point. But that's why... I, exposing mold does what we do like we're if you look at our page it's we're calling all this out we're, we're not just the group that's trying to sell you a binder and the air filter and be on your way like i think people really need to understand that these type of recommendations can really harm people and their families and keep them in bad places longer when they should be leaving or fixing the situation mm -hmm. so we're really taking a stand against this and we really believe that you need to be honest with people and not just tell them what you want them to know so that way you can pay your rent or pay your mortgage. It's not how that works. We should be caring for each other. Yes, and um, that's why I'm so blessed with my community who stepped up and helped me because um, the government won't, um, like the Rotary Club in Inglewood, this small little club, like reached out and um help me get new clothes for my kids and socks and underwear and stuff. I'm just, I'm just so blessed by these strangers. It's, it's, it's amazing at this, but at the same time, it's so sad. It's so sad, but it's heartwarming to know how my community pulled together to help me. And it's like, I didn't know I was loved like that. So it feels good to know that people care. There's still heart out there. You know, thank you to whoever has helped me. I appreciate you. My, my children appreciate you. And God bless you. Go ahead, Kaylee. Oh, we're, we're just so sorry for your loss. God, you've been so through so much. I just hope if anyone's listening, like this can help, you know. And um, 
I'm kind of a hermit crab, but I, I went out of my um, comfort zone because I want I don't want anyone's life to be taken anymore. And I'll, I'll help whatever I can do to make this aware for families nationwide, worldwide, whatever. I hope that you keep in touch with us. I want I want to stay in touch with you and hear about how your boys are doing and about your progress and moving forward. I'd like to have you on again in the future. Thank you. Yeah, just to give you like where where this journey took us. I just want to say I know that this isn't easy to talk about and I know sharing something so upsetting while it's still so fresh and raw is not an easy thing to do, but I just want to say thank you for for coming on and sharing your story with us. Thank, thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for giving me a chance to be heard. Thank you for giving Christian justice. Can Honestly, if there's anything that we can do to like share your story, just we are an email away. Just let okay. us know how we can be of service. If there's something you need published, just honestly, whatever you need, just reach out to us. Thank you. We have Alan Bell. He is actually representing Kendra in her case currently. He's a toxic tort lawyer that is currently handling cases nationwide. Right now, he is representing 25 mold victims in three states. He is also the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Poison, which covers how Alan, a former crime-busting prosecutor, has turned his medical mystery into support and help for environmental victims. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alan. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So in regards to her case, maybe you can kind of break down what this looks like. Usually for, for mold victims, it sounds like you're representing so many people right now. And that's really awesome. I mean, mold victims are the ones that really need to find justice if they're being wronged in this situation, because there's a lot of slum landlords out there doing a lot of bad stuff. So it's awesome that you're, you're out there and, and helping people. Maybe you can just kind of talk a little bit about what it is that you're doing for mold victims. Well, in Kendra's case, uh, her fiancé was in his late 20s. Uh, she was living in the home with him, their two kids, and her mother. It was after the hurricane hit uh, that caused water damage in the, in the home that they were living in, in Englewood, Florida, which is near Tampa, Florida. And the landlord never fixed anything, although the landlord was notified uh, the existence of water damage. And the water eventually turned into mold, and they were subjected to this mold. He had a pre-existing condition, her fiancé, name is Christian. His pre-existing condition was he, he had asthma, uh, but it was controlled, and he, it wasn't any big deal. He worked full-time. They had a great life together, and the mold triggered an inflammatory syndrome in his entire body, including but not limited to his lungs which caused him to go into hypersensitive pneumonitis. Uh, he was rushed to the hospital and they couldn't save him. His body ultimately shut down and he passed away. Kendra, she also suffers from mold injury. Uh, her mother also suffers from mold injury. And the two kids also suffer from mold injury. I've had the three survivors tested, their urine samples tested for mold, the existence of mold metabolites that are coming out of the urine, as well as blood tests, which shows systemic inflammatory syndrome caused by the mold exposure. And as far as the deceased fiance, we had an autopsy done. We hired a medical examiner to do a full autopsy on his body. And we were able to show, particularly through examination of the lungs, on the cause of death directly related to the mold exposure. This is a typical situation, as you described, of a slumlord who is just interested in making money, is not interested in anybody's well-being, is not interested in anybody's health. And uh, as a result of that, these people have been harmed, including a death. Their lives have been destroyed. And this is a microcosm of events that happen every day. I get calls from people all over the country frequently. It's a very similar scenario. I handled a previous case in Bakersfield, California, back in the like early 2000s. And it was uh, 68 people that were living in a low-income Section 8 housing project. And all of their apartments were inundated with mold. 
As a result of that, there was an infant that died from the mold, as well as dozens of children that were hospitalized from it. I handled that case, another wrongful death case, which incidentally was also hypersensitive pneumonitis case, and then ended up on the CBS early show on national television. So this is not as un uncommon as a typical person would imagine. It's pretty common. And I would tell you that there are more deaths that we're even aware of associated with mold damage, but the people don't have the resources or the sophistication to make the connection. The family just buries the bodies without even understanding what caused the deaths in these kinds of people. This is a real thing. It's a serious thing. It's a widespread issue. And as technology progresses, I can tell you that from the time I tried that first mold case that I described in Bakersfield until now, the science has really, has really progressed. So we have a lot more scientific tools now to be able to show this in court. Yeah, especially since Dr. Shoemaker said, made such a name for himself with all of his books and his various testing methods. And a lot of people were basing their hopes for validation specifically on Dr. Shoemaker's work. And now we need to some clarification on where can we go to substantiate our illness? Is it from Dr. Shoemaker practitioners or are there others in the field who can give us better validation? Yes, uh, Dr. Shoemaker's credibility has been impaired and damaged through multiple reasons. We can't base his theories or his work in our legal cases, it would not hold muster in court. But we don't need to because the technology has advanced tremendously. We've got the urine test to show the excretion of mycotoxins coming out of people's bodies, which shows that there was mold exposure. We also have more sophisticated blood tests now that we're able to identify certain markers in the immune system showing antibodies to IgG, IgA, IgM, that are elevated shows that the immune system has been exposed to certain varieties of molds, which you can now measure through these immunological profiles. Many people are mistaken to believe that the blood tests show that they have mold inside their bodies. That's not correct. Blood tests do not show mold inside your body. What the blood tests do show is they show your immune system's response to your body's exposure to the mold. It does not show that there's mold in your blood or mold in your body. So that's how we utilize the blood tests. But more importantly, recently, there's new technology where we're able to actually show objectively that there's neurological damage as a result of mold exposure. And this is technology that's called a neuroquant. A neuroquant is basically an MRI of the brain with souped up software where you're not just looking at the brain structurally, but you're now looking at the brain metabolically. So you can actually see portions of the brain that are inflamed and other portions of the brain that are atrophied. And depending on where the atrophy and the inflammation is in the brain, you're able to connect certain symptomatology to these abnormalities that are showing up in these scans. So when a patient presents neurological complaints such as depression, anxiety, all kinds of neurological symptoms that are vague and ambiguous that were once chalked off to basically, you know, these people are crazy and psychological, now we're able to show that it's not psychological but it's actually brain injury. And we're able to do that. I use a top neuroradiologist in Tampa, Florida, who is able to look at these brain scans and come to these conclusions. As far as the blood is concerned, I use an expert who's an MD, PhD professor at University of East Carolina. His name is William Meggs. He's able to diagnose uh, systemic inflammatory syndrome by utilizing these blood tests. I also use a Dr. Spencer, first mold case he's ever testified to. He, he's uh, one of the three top neurotoxicologists in the world. He wrote the textbook on neurotoxicology that's being taught in medical schools. He's basically went through hundreds and hundreds of double-blind placebo studies 
studying mold exposure to immunological damage, and he's able to connect the dots based on sound scientific research. We're utilizing him in this California case as well. I have two practitioners that I use who are great mold literate uh, doctors who have impeccable credentials, who have passed muster in overcoming any challenges that were lodged against them in court as being solid expert witnesses where the juries are able to depend and rely upon their testimony. So I would recommend those two doctors to anybody in this country that have had mold exposure. If you live in the state of California, I would definitely recommend Dr. Sunny Raleigh. Raleigh is in Raleigh, North Carolina, except she's in Irvine, California. She's amazing. There's another doctor who is in New Mexico, Roswell, New Mexico, and his name is Scott McMahon. The guy is amazing. I have patients that I sent to him from all over the country. He's great. So that's an overview of, of my view uh, with mold in general, in terms of pruning it in court, uh, and my comments on, on the Kendra case. Um, you know, if you have any other questions regarding Kendra, I'd be happy to uh, answer them. I think we're just really grateful that she found you and that you are helping her because as soon as she mentioned your name, we were all really happy to know because we know how great you are and we knew that she would be in good hands. So we're really excited to see um, the result of the case and hopefully help her pick up the pieces of, of what has been done and what has happened. So we do appreciate that. And I know Eric has some, some burning questions he wants to ask. Thank you, Alyssa, for your kind words. Well, Dr. Scott McMahon, in particular, is a close Shoemaker associate. In fact, he's probably the number two guy, probably next to Dr. Andrew Heyman. I haven't heard if um, Dr. McMahon is still pursuing the Shoemaker concepts or not. No, not in my cases. He, he is not pursuing them in court. He's basing his decisions on things totally independent of Dr. Shoemaker in court. Interesting. I've got a terrific video of the uh, 2019 Mold Congress in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where Scott McMahon asks in wonder how it's possible that the chronic fatigue syndrome specialists knew about toxic mold at ground zero for the syndrome and basically did nothing for all these years. We're still waiting. And I'm a little curious about Dr. Nancy Klimas in Fort Lauderdale because she's the major MECFS specialist, has been since 1986. She's doing all this research. And within the last couple of years, it's come out and said that mold mycotoxins are a major problem in chronic fatigue syndrome. Yet here she is at Nova Southeastern with associates who are looking at the mold, Dr. Allison Bested, Dr. Irma Ray. And it seems like they're just spinning their wheels. Why, oh. if, if Florida is such a hotbed for mold activity, aren't people going to Nova Southeastern? I know Nancy Klimas personally. Okay. I've known her for years. I've known her since the 90s. And I, I could tell you that um, her research is driven by her donations, by the people who donate her the money. She got that big position there at NOVA because she was able to get big time funders behind her. That's how she got there. So if the funders are not going to fund mold research, she's not going to do it. It seems like the research has already been done. All she needs to do is connect the dots and talk about it. Well. You know, look, some research has been done, but we're at the infancy of research. You know, how long have they been researching cancer? Okay, maybe less than 1% of 1% has ever been donated toward, towards mold research. Uh, so all the research has not been done. We haven't even cracked the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot that needs to be done. The problem is it's not a sexy kind of thing where people are going to donate money for this. It's just there's not enough interest in it. You know, the average person thinks that mold is just a, a natural element of the environment. And it's not going to hurt you. And we're going to get the big time donors to, to fund something like this. The answer is if you get a billionaire or someone in a billionaire's family that was injured by mold, then you'll get some research. Anything short of that? No. 
rich people have been affected by mold in the last 20 years. Uh, well, they, they've got to be billionaires to, 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 to put enough money up to even make a difference with this thing. You know, I don't know what you're defining as rich. Five million, 10 million, 15 million, <laughs> not enough. Wow. Well, um, if you've got access to these top specialists and researchers who are managing to establish and validate mold illness, are any of these institutes or other environmental organizations reaching out to you to work together? No. Let me tell you a little story. Take yourself back to the mid-1990s when I was very, very sick. I was living in a bubble. And I got on the phone and I tried to find help for myself. And I realized that my plight was just a tip of the iceberg and that millions of people are getting sick and dying every year because of environmental exposure. And I had an aha moment and said, oh my God, we got to do something about this. And then I found out that there's very little research done on this because there's very little money. And that's the bottom line. So what I did was back in the 1990s, I established a nonprofit 501c3 organization called the Environmental Health Foundation. And I raised money. My story was all over the media. I got celebrities involved. I got the astronaut Gene Cernan, the commander of Apollo 17, the last American to walk on the moon, to host a 12-minute video that we produced. And with all of that, we raised money and we donated it to research at a few universities. And, uh, and that was it. So it all boils down to research. And unless you fund the research yourself, and that's not going to happen. Well, we at Exposing Mold do have a bit of an angle, perhaps a bit of leverage that we can bring to bear on this situation. Because toxic mold was reported at ground zero for chronic fatigue syndrome. I'm a prototype for this Holmes 1988 chronic fatigue syndrome. And I make the direct connection by taking people to the sick buildings and showing them the documents which indicate the toxic mold was found after the chronic fatigue syndrome researchers all gave up. And currently, MECFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, has assumed a controversy of global proportions. People in every country are agonizing over what MECFS is, how it can be treated, what we can do about it. And here is an unexplored avenue that this syndrome ties it all together. So we're trying to lean on Stanford, on Harvard, on the Mayo Clinic, on various organizations, environmental organizations, who thus far have failed to mention that they already know this. And if we can all work together, we can put the pieces together and get that funding and get the research. You know, I, I, I applaud your enthusiasm and I, and I applaud your, your goals. Uh, but it takes more than a handful of us to get this thing done. This is a super tanker. Uh, to turn a super tanker around takes a long time. But you need to build a critical mass of like-minded people, powers of affluence and influence to get things done. One of the things I'm trying to do now, um, after my book, I'm trying to get a television series off the ground. And every episode will be a different case of a person or a group of people that were poisoned by various ways. And each one of these episodes are all based on true life stories. I have hundreds of them. And uh, I've been knocking on doors in Hollywood for a long time. You know, they call themselves environmentalists. They drive, they drive around, they parade around with these, uh, you know, low, uh, low emissions vehicles. And they call themselves, you know, uh, supporting global warming, but when you talk to them about hitting the issue head on with what it's doing to human beings right now, not some rainforest on the other side of the world, not some ice cap that's melting now that we won't even feel for 30, 40 years. We're talking about things that are happening in your own home, your own school, your own workplace, and your own family right now. And even with all of that, these people in Hollywood are just... What's their answer to you? I, I'm curious. What did, what did oh, they tell you? Oh, wow, wow. This is a great story. Uh, but um, 
we don't see this as a series or we don't see this as a feature or, or we're working on something similar to this, which is all just BS. There is nothing similar to this, nothing that they, they couldn't even imagine anything even remotely similar to this. Look, it's the same thing in Hollywood. Money drives Hollywood. If you go to them with $20 million, $30 million and say, I want to make a movie, they'll say, let's go. You know, it's all about money. It's all about money. Well, so, I, I just had an interesting experience. I wound up in the local hospital, which just happens to be a hospital that was associated with the creation of chronic fatigue syndrome, Truckee where the initial clusters were identified and all the controversy brought out the CDC and everybody had this huge fight, formed this syndrome. And we thought that the famous syndrome would be the, the focus, the means to draw researchers in so we could talk about all the clues. Well, in this hospital where I got sick with an intestinal problem, I managed to ask as many doctors and nurses as I could if they had ever heard of chronic fatigue syndrome and they never had, right there. The, I mean, the place where it started, it was amazing. Right. But, so then I asked, well, have you heard about mold illness? This reactivity to mold where people get really sick. And they very much had. In fact, there was an incident here in Truckee back in 2008 that involved a um, case of infant death. And that's what drew their attention to it. So even though it's not officially acknowledged, they are fully aware of it. And I feel like this is bubbling up, coming to a point where they want to do something about it. The match, you know, it hasn't lit the fuse that sets this thing off yet. All it takes is some incident, some event, some person in a high place to uh, put these connections together and make it official, make it valid, make it something that a mainstream doctor can recognize. And they think, I think they'll finally come around. Well, you know, there's a disconnect between the research scientists and the practitioners. The research scientists are all, you know, they, they understand this, they're able to see it, but it's not, it's not converting into the practitioner's offices. It's not filtering down into the practitioner's offices. And I can tell you, it's not being taught in medical schools because I've taught at medical schools and I teach at medical I teach medical students. I teach them through my personal story on what happened to me, okay? And, 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 I, and I take them through my journey, through my eyes. And I show these medical students on what I learned in my quest to regain health. And I show them with statistics and, and, and everything else, with PowerPoints. And other than me teaching as a guest speaker, you know, once a semester for, I teach at Boston University, I teach at University of Miami, I've taught at University of California. Other than me, they have nothing in the curriculum to teach their medical students this. It's sad. Well, it is sad, but you know, if so many patients can go online and learn about moldiness in, in a matter of hours, I think doctors should be able to do the same thing. They can and they should, but they won't because there's very little money in it. You see, the medical schools are driven, the curriculum in medical schools is driven by the pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical companies want to teach medical students how to, how, to, how to prescribe their products. They don't want to teach medical students how to prevent illness, how to recognize illness. They don't want to show medical students diseases that really can't be treated by their pharmaceuticals. So they sweep it under the table. And as a result of that, these medical schools are driven towards profit-driven procedures uh, such as, you know, open-heart heart surgeries, cancers, radiation, chemo, all of these big money makers is what they're teaching medical students. All this big sophisticated equipment, how to use it, how to prescribe drugs. That's, that's what's driving orthodox medicine. I agree, and I've definitely seen that. They, they're just out for the buck, and uh, they want to sell what pays. But at the same time, I think um, the thing that most embarrasses doctors if, is a patient comes in more educated on a subject than they are. And that's happening a lot in the mold world these days. So when a doctor betrays their ignorance and a patient schools them on the subject, that stings a little bit. 
So I think more and more of them are starting to feel the need to play catch up here. Hopefully. <laughs> That's my goal is to make it happen. I want to give patients the education where if a doctor is ignorant about this thing, they can go to town on them and bring them up to speed. Well, I can tell you this. You know, there's two things that drive the drive the tank. One is punishment through hitting them in the pocketbook, and the other is incentive for profits. Those two things. So my role is to hit them in the pocket. That's what I do. Okay, I make it where if that's what they want to do to people, greedy slumlords. Hurt innocent victims. Now, my role is to hit them in the pocket. Teaching doctors in medical schools, it's got to have some profit-driven component to it to help this along in, in, in teaching doctors this in medical schools. Well, one thing we can now really bring up, I mean, I definitely hit them on all fronts. But if you look at all these mold seminars, webinars on uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, MECFS, all these people are just popping out of the woodwork. They've got panels and panels with 60, 80 doctors all contributing. And guess what? Probably two thirds, maybe more of them have a mold story. They got sick themselves. Right. Doctors are dropping like flies. So I am going out of my way to educate people. Look at all these doctors with a mold story. You want to be next? I, I agree. I agree. And I, I applaud your enthusiasm. You got to keep it up. <laughs> Okay. But, you know, I've been around the block a long time, unfortunately, in this arena, since 1990, and uh, very disappointed in the medical industry, and very disappointed in the legal industry, too. I try to get, I'm an alumni of the University of Miami, I'm, I'm trying to get them to teach this, their, their law students this. So if a client walks into the office, and they're injured by mold, how they could help them, how they could represent them in court. They're not even teaching this at law school. And, and I'm on the president's council of the University of Miami, the president's council. And I can't even get my own alma mater, my own, and I graduated law school there. I can't even get my own alma mater to add this in the curriculum to teach law students on how to represent mold victims. They're not even teaching it. Well, I think a lot of it is because it's been so difficult to prove in the past, but as new validation, new experts come into the field and we have evidence that we can show, you know, a lawyer can look at that and go, yes, I can win this case, then more of them will jump on board. That, that's absolutely true. But here, here's a problem. Most insurance policies now do not have mold coverage, okay? Because the insurance companies know that this is opening up Pandora's box and exposing them to hundreds of millions of dollars because mold is everywhere. So when they write homeowner's insurance, they exclude mold coverage. So if a lawyer, the first thing a lawyer does is see, is there a pot of gold that I could go after? If there's no insurance policy, you know, it's like, it's like an automobile accident, okay? If, if you get hit in an automobile and you go to a lawyer, and the first thing the lawyer is going to do is find out if the person that hit you had insurance. The person that hit you didn't have insurance, they're not going to take your case because there's no money to go after. So it's the same thing in mold, except in mold, the insurance companies are smart. They're excluding mold coverage. So they're insuring their homes, but they're not insuring that aspect of the home, which is mold. So you got a slumlord that's not being covered for mold. So when a lawyer like me comes in and sees, okay, I got a slumlord, let me see what kind of insurance he's got. I find out he doesn't have mold coverage. Then I got to say, okay, is this slumlord rich in and of himself? Does he have enough net worth to just go after him personally? And if he doesn't, there's nothing to go after. There's, no matter what you can prove, there's no money. So how about taking the approach of the famous Ballard case where they couldn't prove the health effects of mold, but they could prove negligence? That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about whatever it is, negligence, mold, whatever aspect of it is, if, it, if the basis of the claim is mold, mold, 
okay? If the basis is mold, no coverage. You could say negligence, you could say whatever you want. If it's because of mold, no coverage. Surely they haven't excluded structural damage. No, but the people that come to me, the structural damage, the only person that would care about the structural damage is the, is the slumlord. It's his house. <laughs> right. but, 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 you know, the guy that's sick, he has no claim for the structural damage. He doesn't own it. Yeah. The, only, the only claim he has is, he or she has, is what it did to their bodies and what it did to their own personal property. So if they had like $20,000 worth of personal property in the slum that they're living in, like a bed and chests and chairs and whatnot, and it comes to $20,000, okay, that's a claim they could have their own personal property and their health. But their own personal property isn't enough. It, it's not enough to take a case. I take these cases on contingency, okay? So that means if, you know, if there's not a huge recovery, it's not, it's not worth it for me to, tr to pursue the case because there's no money there. So the big bucks is the injuries. That's where the big bucks are. And that's what would attract lawyers that know how to do mold with someone that's seriously injured. Like if somebody dies, it's a wrongful death case, like in Kendra's case, or if your whole family gets sick and now it affects your ability to earn income, now you've got lost, lost income. If you're earning $100,000 a year before you get sick and now you've been poisoned and you can't work anymore, you're losing $100,000 a year in lost income. That counts too, you see? So the, the, the big thing that, is, that, that has prevented lawyers from jumping into this arena is the insurance companies are no longer insuring mold, okay? So unless you get a slumlord that has a lot of money, no one's gonna take the case. The type of mold case that would really uh, stand up in court requires a minimum of these things. Number one, you need a good positive mold test. That's not a mold test that's done on an in-home basis where you go to Home Depot and, and that, no, no, no. You need a certified industrial hygienist to go in and test mold. Not only uh, do you test for mold, but you count the, you want a, a, a mold spore count and you also want a DNA testing to see what specific type of species the mold is. Number two, you need substantial medical bills. That means the past medical bills that you've had in the past, present, and future. Number three, you need substantial lost income. If you're only earning $10,000 a year and you lost $5,000 for one year and you're done, that's not enough. You need substantial loss of income, past and projected future. And these are the minimums of what you need to have a good mold case uh, to look at. You need substantial medical injuries, not a case of the sniffles, but something you know significant that's, that dehabilitates you, that you are basically disabled from this mold. The other thing is, if you're renting from your mother-in-law, you're not gonna sue your mother, right? So you, the person that you would sue, the potential target, would be someone who has deep pockets. Now, um, if you're renting from an individual homeowner, most likely their insurance policy will have a mold exclusion, and therefore you probably won't have a deep pocket. But if you're a tenant in a professional uh, apartment complex, yes, they do have mold coverage in these professional apartment complexes. So you, you're, you're, you're probably in good shape there. And if this happens at work, that's a workers' comp case. Workers' comp case, I don't handle. So if it happens at work, that's not the kind of case we're interested in. Then I do know Bobby Kennedy. He endorsed my book. He's on the cover of my book. Uh, Bobby and I have talked many, many times. He's very interested. He, he, in his words, mold is a real serious thing. These are... These are words that came out of Bobby, Robert F. Kennedy's lips to my ears. So he recognizes this. Um, and uh, I can tell you that, that his family has had personal experience with mold exposure. 
So he understands it as well. Well, I've got a story that will knock his socks off because it includes direct CDC involvement in working to suppress the mold phenomenon. I'm going to tell him this because that's, um, that's something right up his alley. You know, conspiracies are great when you can prove it. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his father was killed by Sirhan Sirhan. And Bob, Bobby did his own research, his own investigation, and he came to the conclusion that Sirhan Sirhan was not primarily responsible for his father's death. And he was the only Kennedy in the Kennedy clan that advocated for the release of Sirhan Sirhan, the person who was convicted of murdering his own father. So Bobby Kennedy, you know, walks on his own path. He doesn't follow anybody. He, he, he's, he's got a mind of his own. And, uh, you know, he's a good guy. Excellent. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. He wrote a book on it. Look him up. Look it up. Hmm. To have that kind of an open mind, that's incredible. You know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he would be interested, especially with this conspiracy with the CDC and NIH uh, suppressing the mold illness, yeah. Yeah, the uh, authors, the primary authors for the 1994 FACUDA, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Definition, they had done a study two years prior on sick building syndrome in the Sacramento area, the uh, Twin Towers complex, and they concluded that the major risk factor for chronic fatigue syndrome was sick buildings. And yet they went ahead and contrived this new definition saying that there are no risk factors for chronic fatigue syndrome. So can you send me literature that supports your contention that the CDC and the NIH conspired to suppress mold uh, illness? I most certainly can. We'll put together a package and send it to you. Send it to me and I will forward it to Bobby. Fantastic. Okay. Well, interesting to hear about this from the legal aspect when we've pretty much dwelled on the medical, about getting the medical profession to acknowledge our evidence and try to get this introduced for disability purposes when somebody has a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome. Right, so, so the, where our paths intercept is, is that I need to be able to have a full understanding of the medical aspect of this to prove my case. That's why I understand everything what these expert witnesses say, because I need them to say this to prove the case. Okay. So, you know, I got a case in South Carolina where the government owns the place. Okay. And the government uh, has what's called governmental immunity. You can't sue the government. You can't sue them. Okay. So this person whose life, life has been destroyed by living in a government place, really doesn't have much of a claim against the government. But in this case, there was a property management company that managed the property. And this property management company had very deep pockets. So we're going after the property management company because they're liable as well. They should have known it was their responsibility to keep this place, this habitat safe. And they didn't do that. So, we're suing the property management company in that case. Yeah, most of the people who contact us are just worried about validation, the fact that doctors don't believe them. If they could just get at least that much out of the deal, right. they could at least move forward with their lives. Doctors don't believe them and lawyers don't believe them. Yeah, I get it. So in that Bakersfield case where the infant died, the medical examiner, or the coroner, who was a governmental medical examiner, did an autopsy, and they didn't find mold as the cause of, of, of this infant's uh, demise. But what I did was I subpoenaed tissues uh, of, of the infant that were still left in test tubes, and I had my medical examiner test them. And I had my medical examiner prove that this infant died from mold exposure. The government themselves, the, the coroner couldn't even show that connection. The coroner, who's a, who's a governmental employee who's supposed to find the true cause of death, didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to connect the dots to mold. 
Even though I had 68 people that were all dropping like flies from mold, they didn't make the connection. And because of that, no lawyer would take the case. No lawyer knew anything about mold. And um, so you really got to do your homework. The devil's in the details, I think. That, yeah. So, yeah, so that's something that we really have to educate people about is when you're in a potential, potential court case, preserve the evidence. Get all the evidence you can. Right. That's right. You know, I mean, I get people from all over the country that call me. And uh, if you, you know, if any of your listeners have a serious personal injury as a result of mold exposure, and that serious personal injury has caused you uh, to lose significant amounts of lost income and significant amounts of medical bills, those are the kinds of people that I can help. My website is uh, www.allenbell.me. That's A-L-A-N-B-E-L-L.me, M-E. Yeah, I'll go ahead and put that in our show notes. That way people can contact you. And thank you so much. This was just a great interview. It's just eye-opening from the legal perspective because from what we know currently, a mold case is extremely hard to prove. And usually it's just mold in association with an allergy. So to have all these advancements that you had mentioned earlier to be able to prove you know, neurological disorder, like these are things that are really important because this is how mold is manifesting. It's such a, an inflammatory systemic just issue in people's bodies. And it's not just an, an allergenic issue. Exactly. And that, that's, that's a good point. You know, majority of doctors say, well, it's just an allergy. No, this is not an allergy. This is actually a toxic injury. It's a toxic injury your immune system, your endocrine system, and your nervous system. It's a whole different ballgame. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show and to supplement um, the interview with Kendra. Uh, We really do appreciate your time. And if there's anything that we can do to help you, um, we are just one email, phone call away. Same thing here, uh, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. Eric, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You are... uh, very knowledgeable in this field. You've been around the block a long time as well. And I feel like we're kindred spirits. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. It was a really hard conversation, as you heard, with Kendra Elliott talking about her her loved one that passed away, her fiancé, Christian Childers. May he rest in peace. And again, our organization is there to help in any regard. And if anyone wants to donate to Kendra's GoFundMe, we are posting that in a link in our show notes. So please check that out. Anything helps. Thank you everyone for listening today. Bye.